Well, hey, good morning. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, be with you this morning and uh, looking forward to uh, just spending some time in God's Word with you. My name is Lance and uh, grateful to, to join you today. I, there's a picture on the screen of, of my family, but there's my wife Sherry and, and our kids. Are, our kids are all old now. My youngest is graduating from high school this year. That's Zoe and, uh, and my son Clayton and Lacey, my daughter Lacey, uh, go to school at Oklahoma Wesleyan University in, in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. My daughter Lacey plays on the softball team. My son Clayton plays on the baseball team. So this spring we've been making lots of trips, right, to watch college baseball and, and softball. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my daughter Lacey was playing in San Antonio. So I was getting ready to make this trip to San Antonio to watch softball. And, and we were talking about it. My wife Sherry is a school nurse, so she wasn't able to, to go. And, you know, I'm a preacher, so we work that one day a week kind of thing, you know, so we can, we can get out of here. And, and so I, I'm taking my daughter Zoe with me because she's a senior in high school. That's sort of like being a preacher. They kind of go to school, kind of don't, you know. And, and so she was heading out with me, and, and uh, as we're preparing for this trip, uh, my, my wife and, and some of her friends and my daughters are saying, okay, you have to stop in Texas at a Bucky's. Some of you know what a Bucky's is. Uh, Bucky's is like this overgrown convenience store. And so one of the things I love about my wife and daughters is they can get excited about things that I just... I, I can't get so excited about, you know, there's a new outfit, woohoo, you know, I don't remember the last time I was just, man, I've got this new outfit, I can't wait to wear it, I'm just, I just hope it fits, is my only thing, right, and, and, and convenience store, I don't know about that, but you're making this road trip, you have to stop somewhere, and so I say, okay, we're going to stop at this Bucky's, and we pull in about halfway down our, our journey to San Antonio, and, and the first thing you see is just rows and rows of gas pumps, more gas pumps than I've ever seen in my life at this giant convenience store, and it's one of the necessities when you're making a pit stop on a road trip, you've got to fuel up, so we pull up to the gas pump, and we fuel up, we go park in this giant parking lot, walk inside to this Bucky's, which is like a department store. There's a food court, they're selling t-shirts and camping gear and all sorts of stuff in this, in this convenience store. But before you get to any of that, look, there's another necessity that has to be taken care of when you're on the road trip, right? You, you... Look, I feel like we're family now, so I'm going to go ahead and tell the story. You have to go to the restroom. You have to go to the bathroom. And so I find the restroom and I walk in. There's a line to the men's room and I'm, I'm kind of hanging out in the men's room just like there were rows of gas pumps in the parking lot. There were rows of stalls in the men's room at this Bucky's. And one of the things, the first thing that stood out to me about these stalls is that the doors aren't like normal kind of public restroom stalls, you know, kind of those half doors and you walk in and they're all closed and you're not sure what's going on. So you kind of do that walk back lean because you don't want to just bend over and see, you know, are there any feet? So you kind of do that lean. You guys have been there before. I know you've done this. And so, it, but these are full length doors. And so instead of doing that awkward lean, there are lights above the doors. All right. And so a red light above the door means that the stall is occupied. And a green light above the door means, well, it means go. Right? The, the stall is not occupied. You can, you can go in. You have access to that stall. It's really sort of one of my, <laughs> it was my favorite thing about Bucky's, you know, red light and green light system. And so you knew when you could gain 
access to where you needed to be. Uh, we all go through doors every day. You know, we have garage doors and front doors. We have gates to the backyard. We, we go through doors, and doors do a variety of things in our lives. Sometimes they provide us with privacy. Sometimes they provide us with uh, security. Uh, but mostly, I think, we need the doors to grant us access to where we need to be. On a, on a completely, uh, on a more deep level, on a spiritual level, we were all created seeking to worship something. We're, we're all all created, and we might not know this right away. Some of you in this room might not be uh, able to put this in terms right now, but you're here for a reason. You showed up on this Sunday morning for a reason because God created you with this desire to worship something. And we're all looking for that something that we're to worship. And as followers of Christ, we know that that something is, is being reconnected, is worshiping our creator, sustainer, redeemer, God. And we're all trying to figure out, how do I gain access to this relationship that I desperately need? And I think one of the things we are learning through this series as Jesus reveals to us who he is with these I am statements is that he's the only way to gain access to this relationship. We, we need, in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, he describes himself as a door, and, and Jesus is the door that every one of us needs to walk through. I think in this passage, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, Jesus uh, teaches us three reasons that we ought to walk through the door that is Jesus into this relationship, into the family, onto the team of God. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to John, that's the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in your New Testament, chapter 10. We're going to take a look at the first 10 verses here and three reasons that we need to walk through that door that is Jesus. John chapter 10, this is what God's Word says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from, uh, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, uh, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." All right, an awesome section of Scripture here it teaches us three reasons that we ought to walk through that door that, Jesus, that is Jesus. Reason number one is that we get to know Jesus. You know, I'm sorry this, this Sunday you don't, you don't have a preacher as smart as, as Joe or Joe, I mean, come on, or Casey, right? It's just me, and so reason number one is really simple. We get to know 
Jesus. Truly, truly, verse 1 says here in, in chapter 10. Uh, it, a few weeks ago, Pastor Casey uh, told you that it, when, when you hear those two words, when you read those two words in the Gospel of John, truly, truly, you ought to pay attention because Jesus is about to drop a truth bomb. And just as surely as we ought to pay attention, his original audience would have sort of heard that in the same way. Hey, he's about to say something new. He's about to say something that we ought to listen to. I think Jesus is just fed up by this point. Uh, chapter 10 here in the Gospel of John is sort of connected back to chapter 7 in the Gospel of John. And in chapter 7, we learn that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And, and so he was there for that feast, and he's confronted by religious leaders. He, he heals some people in chapter 7, 8, and 9. There's all these kind of arguments and debates. It's really an ongoing debate from chapter 7 to chapter 10. In verse 22 of chapter 10, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for the Feast of dedication, Hanukkah. That's in, in December. December. So the, the Feast of Booths is late September, maybe early October. There's about three months between these two feasts. And for three months, Jesus has been in this head-on argument, debate with religious leaders. They have kind of thrown the book at Jesus. They've, they've sent a officers to try to arrest Jesus. They've accused him of, of being demon-possessed. Jesus has responded by saying, look, you guys, you aren't judging this correctly. I, I know you're not blind, but you can't see. He's even called them children of the devil. Jesus hasn't exactly held back here. And so he's exasperated by the time we get to chapter 10, verse 1. And I think truly, truly, it stands out as saying, look, I've got to try something else. I'm not sure what else, how else can I say this so that you'll hear it? And so he tells them a story, and he uses an illustration from one of the three main economic drivers of the area. If you were living in Israel during Jesus' day, probably you were a farmer, a fisherman, or a shepherd. Those were the three major economic drivers. And so he shares a story from a, a segment of society that everyone would have understood. We, we read in, in verses 1, I say to you, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way? That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Everyone in Jesus' audience had seen a sheep pen. Maybe they own a sheep fit. A sheep pen. These, these. Uh, I think we have a picture of it. Or we're all over the area. Often rock walls attached to a house. Sometimes they were just sort of a hollowed out area on on the side of a mountain. And they, when they were in the grazing their flock. They'd shelter there at the night, but there would always be one entrance to the sheep pen. And, and after grazing their flocks in, in the fields, they'd bring their sheep into the sheep pen. The shepherds would lead them in, and, and often these sheep pens would house more than one flock of sheep. So there'd be several shepherds sharing this same sheep pen. They'd lead them in, and one of the shepherds, or perhaps a, a watchman that they hired at night, would guard those sheep by laying themselves across that single entrance to the sheep pen. So the shepherd himself would become the door to the sheep pen. Nobody was getting in 
without that shepherd knowing it. He was the gate. He was the door to gain access to the sheep pen. And then in the morning, when they were ready to take the sheep back out to graze again, each shepherd would go in and he would call his sheep by name, Fluffy and Wooly and Scapegoat. That was the ironic shepherd. And he'd call them out. And the sheep would follow their shepherd because they'd recognize his voice. And so every flock would follow their own shepherd out of the sheep pen. Everyone in Jesus' audience would have seen this from time to time at least. They'd be familiar with this practical description of a shepherd in his sheep. What's more, though, Jesus is specifically talking in, in, verses, in these verses in chapter 10 to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, most of Jesus' audience, probably all of Jesus' audience, but especially the religious leaders would have been familiar with the Old Testament background to shepherds and sheep. The, the greatest heroes of the Old Testament, guys like Moses and King David, their origin story is that of a shepherd. They started out as shepherds. The, the, the prophets and, and Jeremiah and Micah and Amos talk about God as good shepherd. Maybe one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. In the New Testament, you have John 3.16, right? In the Old Testament, you have Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is all about God as shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want and so these religious leaders would have been so familiar with this Old Testament background to shepherding and sheep and how God is described as the good shepherd. And they would have been familiar with this practical description of a shepherd in a sheep pen in a door. And so that makes verse 6 really sort of confusing. When John tells us this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Why didn't these guys understand? Why didn't these religious leaders get it? Well, they were smart enough to understand. They had all the background information they needed. What they were lacking was that relationship between sheep and shepherd. When the shepherd went into the pen, the sheep followed because they recognized his voice. I wonder, you know, why did Jesus spend these three months, not to mention three years of his ministry, essentially arguing and debating with these religious leaders? Some of it maybe is to share that information and to lead disciples who followed. But I think it's because Jesus desperately wanted these leaders to recognize his voice. We, we, the Pharisees play the role of bad guy in the New Testament for a reason, but man, Jesus loved them too. He wanted them to hear his voice, to enter into relationship with him just as desperately as he wants for you to hear and recognize his voice, just as desperately as he wants for each one of us to enter into relationship with him. When we walk through the door that is Jesus, we get to know him. We gain access to the creator, sustainer, redeemer, God. The reason we're talking so much about this listening and reading plan, I hope you've jumped on board with that. If you haven't jumped on board with the... Uh, uh, 1KC reading and listening plan, do that today. Because when we listen to God's word, do you know what we're doing? 
we're listening to the shepherd's voice. We're getting to know him more and more. And it's exactly what Jesus desires for us to know him more. He wants us to be in that relationship with him. It's reason number one. Reason number two is that we find pasture. So Jesus again said to them in verse seven, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, there are elements of security involved here in Jesus' description of himself as door. We've talked about it. The shepherd would lay across the opening to the sheep pen, and he was the only way in. So you you couldn't get to the pen without crossing the shepherd, without him knowing it. And so he he protects us. There's lots of talk about thieves and robbers. And and as the sheep went into the pen, they would be examined for, for cuts and abrasions, and the shepherd would treat them with oil so they wouldn't be infected. There are elements of protection here, absolutely. I think mostly, though, Jesus is is talking about himself, describes himself as door because he is the only access to the pen. He's the only way to be a part of that team, to be on, in God's family. I was on a trip recently in, in Bartlesville, actually, to watch baseball, and I got out of the car, and I, I dropped my cell phone. It landed face down, screen down on the parking lot, and I thought, that's a broken screen. I picked it up, and the screen wasn't cracked at all. I thought, this is so lucky. And just as I picked up that phone, my son was trying to call me, and so I went to answer, you know, swiped to answer the phone, and just black screen. I couldn't, no matter, I could hear the phone ringing, but no matter what I touched, what button I pressed, no matter what, you know, reset I did, I couldn't get the phone to work. And so I decided I've got to, you know, this will be the one time when I drive home and I hit a deer or something, I'll need a phone. And so I went to the, the cell phone store and I said, what can you do for me? They said, well, we can sell you a new phone, sir. I said, okay, well, let's try that. And so we, I bought a new phone, and then they go to set it up. They said, okay, now to transfer everything, you know, your contacts, all the information on your, your deceased cell phone, you'll need your Apple ID and password. I was not prepared for this, right? I mean, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to embarrass myself because it's going to take me 47 tries to get my Apple ID and password. You would be proud of me because I got it on the first try, it's my greatest success in weeks, all right? And so, yeah, thank you. And this is like the secret passcode, but it's the only access to all of this information. Jesus is the only access to the sheep pen. Here's the deal, though. He doesn't make it a secret. He's not like the secret formula or passcode you have to know. He wants you to hear and recognize his voice and gain entrance to his team. I am the door to the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me, who is being described here? Some scholars say that Jesus is describing these false messiahs that showed up before him. And I don't really think that's the case, just based on the context. Maybe some scholars say, well, he's talking about prophets from the Old Testament. I'm not buying that either because the prophets from the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And so what I think is going on here, Jesus is describing the religious leaders that he's talking to. These guys who came before are thieves and robbers. They've dressed themselves up like doors, but they're not worried about granting you access to anything. 
I, I recently, a, a year or so ago, I was on a retreat in, in Louisville. It's my favorite uh, pastor's retreat I've ever been on. There was a group of about seven or eight of us with uh, this senior pastor who uh, is retired now, but he led a large church in, in Louisville for years and years and years. And, and so we got to spend some time, just seven of us with this guy and learn from him. And one of the things we did on this trip is we, we took a trip to the Louisville Slugger Museum in Louisville. And so we got to see how the bats were made and all this stuff. And we walked through, we met the owner of Louisville Slugger because he goes to that church, all a, a fantastic experience. And at the end of this tour, they said, okay, now we're going to go to the batting cage and everybody can choose a bat and go in and the batting cage and I thought, there's no way I'm doing this. I don't need this kind of embarrassment in my life. And, and so I, I think a few of these other guys, you know, they're going to say no too, and it'll be okay. But every one of them said, I'll go to the batting cage. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be that guy. And okay, I'll go to the batting cage too. And so I pick out a bat, Johnny Bench model, and I'm waiting my turn. I've got batter's helmet on. There's no way for a 47-year-old man to make a batter's helmet look cool. But I've got that on, and I'm waiting in line. And I watch these guys, a couple guys go before me, and I see their swings, and I think... I'm going to be okay, <laughs> right? This is not going to be so embarrassing. Got in, took a couple swings. I was swinging a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer's model bat, right? But no matter how much you dress some folks up, they're never going to be a Hall of Famer. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, these religious leaders were dressed up like doors, like they cared about the people and gave access to, to God, but they weren't. They were dead ends. They were way more concerned with themselves. In fact, you go back in chapter 7, 8, and 9, you'll see Jesus heal, especially in chapter 9, he heals this blind man, and then the religious leaders just devour the man who was healed. They're only concerned with keeping their own power and, and holding on to that. Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What does it mean to find pasture? When you hear pasture, you should think of provision and safety and peace. I grew up on 40 acres just outside of Topeka, and I remember going in the pasture over and over to do all sorts of things. We played wiffle ball in the pasture. We rode mini bikes in the pasture. We rode horses in the pasture. We, it, we hunted for mushrooms by the creek that ran down the edge of the pasture. I can think of so many great memories from childhood they remind me of that provision from being in the pasture. We also had chores to do occasionally in the pasture. We raised some animals every year. We'd raise a couple of hogs, and, and it came time to take the hogs to the butcher. And so we had two hogs that we were loading into a trailer. There was one entrance, right, to the pen. We'd back up a trailer to that one entrance, and uh, we're, we're trying to herd, I guess is the word, get these hogs into the trailer. We get one in, and if these had been sheep, the second one would have gone right in because sheep are dumb, and they just follow. But this hog knew better, and he thought, I don't want to go in that trailer. And so he started running around and around and around. We had my brother, my older brother, my mom, my dad, kind of on all sides trying to corral this hog into the trailer, but he just ran around and around and around until he fell over dead. He died. Before he went through that door, he just died. Now, the deal is, it wasn't going to end up so well for him if he had, right? If he went through that, that gate, he was going to be baconed or whatever. But for us, we have this one opportunity to walk through the door. We have this chance to go in and out and find pasture, peace and security and love 
Reason number two is that we can find pasture. Reason number three is that we can find life abundantly. We can find life abundantly. Verse 10 says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When we read verse 10, we think of the thief as Satan. It's pretty heavy. This is serious. And I don't think that's wrong. But here specifically, Jesus is talking about sort of the folks that he believes represent Satan in this situation. He's talking to those religious leaders that he's already, in these last few chapters, described as the children of the devil. And so when he talks about these thieves who steal, kill, and destroy, he's talking about those religious leaders. Now that is so heavy. Because let's be honest, those religious leaders, they did a lot of things right. You know, if you run down a list of things that those uh, Pharisees did, you know, they were, they were about studying God's Word. They were serious about that. What's more, they were serious about obeying God's Word and following the letter of the law. They were serious about tithing and giving back to God's work. They, they did so many things right. And yet, what did they miss? And they missed that relationship with Jesus. And I just think we can be a little bit off, and we miss that one thing. And Do you know the difference between true north and magnetic north? True north would be the North Pole, right? The, the furthest, most north point on the globe. And when you, when you have a compass and you find north, those compasses work by magnets. So they point you towards magnetic north, which is a point somewhere in Arctic Canada, okay, where nobody wants to go, but there's iron ore under it or whatever. And so those compasses are going to point you to magnetic north. The deal is that depending on where you are on the earth, that, that's it's different directions. If you're in Maine, you're 18 degrees off from true north in one direction. And if you're in Washington state, you're 18 degrees off from true north in another direction when you follow magnetic north. What you know is, is that when you begin a journey, you can just be a little bit off. And by the time you reach your destination, you won't be close to it. For instance, if you were taking a trip to the moon and you started just one degree off on your journey to the moon, by the time you got to where the moon should be, you'd be 4,169 miles away from the moon. You can start and do all kinds of things right, but if you're one degree off, man, you will miss the mark. Our true north is Jesus. You can do all kinds of things right, and if you do them without Jesus, without walking through that door, you will miss the mark. He said uh, in, in verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, that word abundantly, the Greek, uh, just means more. It just means more. It's a really simple word. You know, we, we get this concept of more. We understand it pretty well. In fact, little kids, so when our kids were very little, before they were verbal, before they could speak, my wife taught them some sign language, American sign language, so they knew words. Like, And maybe you've done this. I see nodding heads from moms in the audience. You, you've done this. Uh, and, and, and so, you, you know, we taught them please, and we taught them thank you, and we taught them cookie. I, I remember cookie, right? You can tell. And, and more, 
right? They more, and I think I got all those words right. And so more, little kids, before they can even speak, understand the concept of more. I want more of that applesauce. I want more of that mashed up turnip or whatever gross thing we were feeding them at the time, right? I want more. And we understand that. And when we think of this life abundant, this more life that John talks about, we tend to think, well, I want more happiness and I want more health and I want more wealth. And in fact, some churches, some pastors even teach about this abundant life as if it was Jesus promising us more happiness and more health and more wealth. But I, I wish I could tell you this morning that that was Jesus' promise, but it's just not. How can you tell a, a believer in, in Ukraine this morning that Jesus promised you more health and wealth and happiness? What Jesus promised us is a life filled with joy, with a peace that passes understanding. In other words, when things go bad, we can have peace because of the hope we have in Jesus. He promises us a life filled with purpose. And oh, by the way, this more life goes on and on and on. So this grace upon grace that John talks about in John chapter 1, verse 16, this life filled with purpose that Paul talks about in Romans and, and, and Colossians and, and, and John talks about in, in Revelation chapter 21, where he says, you will have access to the tree of life and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more pain. And so this more life extends into eternity. And someday when we are in the presence of Jesus, there won't be any more tears and there won't be any more hurt. And we have access to that if we just go through the door that is Jesus. On these trips, sometimes to Bartlesville to watch baseball and softball, we tend to stay in the same hotel. And so we're staying in this hotel. There's an elevator in it. And so we've ridden this elevator over and over again. And one of the things I, I've learned about this elevator is that when you get to the bottom floor, it, it takes a little while for the doors to open. They don't open right away. And I suppose it, it takes, it seems, it's a long time, maybe, maybe six seconds, seven seconds but that seems like, you know, an hour and a half. You're standing there waiting for those doors to open, and you know that they're going to open. They've opened every single time before. But every time you get to that bottom floor and there's that pause, there's a little part of you that thinks, today's the day. I'm going to be stuck in here for years. It's a good thing I've been preparing for it. You know, it's, these aren't going to open. Man, I've been in spots in my life. I've gone through seasons in my life when I know that Jesus has promised that he is the door that allows me access to be a part of his team, to be a part of his family, to be fellow heirs with him. I gain access to my creator that he fills up that, that hole in my life that I desperately need. And yet in different seasons, I've thought, this is the day. Those doors not going to open. I, I know some of you are in this room uh, this morning and you're thinking, I know the preacher says that Jesus will say yes, that the door will open, but he doesn't know what I've done or where I've been. He doesn't know what I'm experiencing right now. He doesn't know the hurt and the pain that is present in my life. And he said, he talks about this piece that passes understanding 
But if I risk and and I say yes to Jesus, I know that door is going to close. It's got to stay shut. I promise you, and what's more, God's word promises you. And what's more, Jesus promises you that it's not true. That Jesus is the door and anyone who enters through him has access to life abundantly, can come in and out to pasture, to peace that passes understanding, that every single one of us, when we say yes to him, can know him more and more and more. He will call us by name and we will recognize his voice. Man, this morning I invite you to walk through that door You know, talk to somebody that you saw on stage. Talk to the person who invited you this morning. Find one of the pastors on staff here. Talk to somebody. Talk to me about how you can take those next steps to say yes to him. Next Sunday, they're they're doing baptisms. Joe told me before 8.15 that there's nine baptisms. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Nine baptisms, that's pretty cool, but there's room for more, right? Take that next step walk through the door.